Morning, church. It's great to be with you today. Another beautiful Sunday morning. Welcome to Calvary Monument Bible Church. Whether you're with us in the building or with us online today, uh, we're glad to be able to serve you uh, together in this way this morning. Our memory verse for the month of August is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5. We can say it together. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. We are continuing in our series uh, together this week. This is a seven-week series, although next week we'll take a break as Pastor Tom has a few uh, thoughts from God's Word to share with us. Today, we turn our attention to caring consistently. And before we dive in, I just wanted to give a heartfelt thank you to our volunteers uh, and our staff here at Calvary Monument Bible Church that did a tremendous job over the last few weeks pulling together everything for the great giveaway. Thank you very much for the work that you did. Many people, many people giving uh, out of their heart much time, volunteering many hours to sort, to organize, to drop off, to be present for people that were coming to the building. And yesterday, uh, the culmination of all, there was a, a large group of folks here uh, that were able to take advantage of the many opportunities uh, of items that were here inside the building. And so uh, thank you uh, to everyone who participated in some way or another. Thanks for your contributions. As we continue uh, through this series together, we do so uh, keeping in mind that each of the priorities that we've been focusing on over the course of the last number of weeks is attached to specific ministry priorities that we have here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. And there's some considerations that are guiding this series as we go into it together. Uh, these are the habits that guide the focus of our ministries at Calvary Monument Bible Church. Each of these habits, we believe, were important to and exemplified by Jesus while he was on earth. We also believe that these habits were habits that were practiced and put into a continual and consistent habit by the leaders of the early church. And we recognize that churches throughout the world may apply these habits differently within their specific context. So our first week together, we talked about uh, the habit of worshiping. 24-7, we talked about the habit of pursuing and receiving hospitality. Last week, we looked at the habit of praying continually. And this week, we will turn our attention to caring consistently. Now, I find it uh, very interesting. As I was dialoguing about this with my wife last night, um, we were just kind of reflecting on this reality. Isn't it interesting in our lives that it is often more easier for us to care for people we like than people we don't like, right? I mean, that, that, that right or wrong, that is typically a reality that we all face. If we know that the person that we're caring for isn't going to bite us, we we'll often provide much more generally uh, and, and much more consistently to that person. I mean, if, 
if you're out walking in your neighborhood and you know that there's a neighbor next door and, and that neighbor has a dog particularly that's friendly and kind and runs up and wants to lick you to death every time you see it, you're going to approach that dog much differently than the neighbor down the street that has the pit bull that chases me out into the middle of the road every morning and tries to bite my ankles. And that does happen, and I get really frustrated. My attitude towards that neighbor oftentimes is much different, right or wrong, than the attitude towards the neighbor with the kind, fluffy little thing that wants to lick me to death every morning when I see it. Uh, but, but isn't this the case? And, and as Dan alluded to in his prayer this morning, uh, thanks Dan, uh, we live in a culture and a world that has become increasingly divided. And in our world and in our culture, I have seen in this season, at a more accelerated rate, a polarization of people uh, that maybe has been unprecedented in the last number of decades in our country. I mean, we are being trained in so many ways to draw lines and to divide, to categorize, and to, to, to make us's and them's out of people. And I don't know about you, but, it, but if I look in my own heart, and if I'm being very transparent and honest this morning, it's much harder for me to care for someone that I consider an other or a them than someone who I consider an us. And you know, Jesus's example, it, it wasn't a line drawing example when it comes to care and the provision of care in his ministry. And we want to take from the example of Jesus. And so as we turn our attention to our text this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. We'll cover primarily, but we'll go to a few other places as well. We want to answer two questions this morning. The first is this, how does Jesus's interaction with a Canaanite woman serve as a powerful testimony of his priority of care for both his disciples and his church? What can we learn from Jesus' example in this text this morning? And then second, what are the essential qualities of a Christian faith community that intends to honor God through a ministry of caring for those who are in need? And as we turn our attention to this interaction that Jesus has with the Canaanite woman today, before we dive in, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we acknowledge this morning as we open your text that uh, we live in a culture and a world that has become increasingly polarized and divided. And Lord, we know that you have called us to show love, to bear with one another, to forgive. And yet, Lord, uh, we find these attitudes and these habits sometimes difficult. So, Lord, we, we need your help. And we turn to the Gospels, we turn to the example of Jesus because we believe that in the life of Jesus, we have a perfect reflection of how you would like us to live and the patterns that you would like us to live by, why you have us here in this world. And so, Lord, help us to grow in our concern for care. Help us to grow as a caring community of people who love you and want to honor you. Lord, grow us in our desire to love you and grow us in our ability to love others. And we want to give you the glory in all of these things. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to read uh, verses 21 to 28 to start this morning. After going out from there, and we'll fill in the context here in a minute, Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that area came and cried out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is horribly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. Then his disciples came and begged him, Send her away, because she keeps on crying out after us. So he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and bowed down before him and said, Lord, help me. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he said. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, your faith is great. Let what you want done be done for you. And her daughter was healed from that hour. At the beginning of our text, Jesus is moving away from a scene where he had done something that was a bit unusual as it related to his public ministry. You may remember that oftentimes, early on in the public ministry of Jesus, when he would share, uh, he would a lot of times then hide himself or try to sneak out undercover. He oftentimes would even ask his disciples, don't go and share about what I did, and don't yet go and reveal to these people who I am. Yet, in the context that surrounds this passage, he had called a crowd to himself. In the immediate context, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of fellow countrymen and women. Those who he had gathered around himself at the beginning of chapter 15, they were Jews. And not only were they Jews, but many of them would have been considered in an elite class of Jews. They were the cream of the crop, you've heard it said. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the zealots. All of them were huddled up around Jesus at the beginning of chapter 15, only to be confronted with the teaching that would be highly offensive and very off-putting to them. The disciples confirm as much in verse 12 when they ask if Jesus realizes. The disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Hey, do you, do you realize that you just offended these people? But what is motivating and what is moving Jesus in these interactions? Why would he so deliberately offend the lost sheep of the house of Israel while so consistently throughout his ministry provide for the cares of even those who were considered his very enemies? The passages that bookend this portion of Matthew's, Matthew's gospel may provide us with a clue revealing Jesus' motivation for care. Now, this portion of Matthew's narrative, it's bookended by two feedings of large groups of people. The first is found in the chapter right before this, Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Now, many of us are familiar with this passage. This miracle took place on a mountain near the shores of Galilee. So we can deduce that the crowd that was gathered 
was a largely Jewish audience. And it says in verse 14, as he got out of the boat, he saw the large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then he provided for them physical food as well. Jesus is moved by compassion to care for the lost sheep of Israel who had followed him on foot from nearby towns. And though they are his people, many of them are lost. They have not yet recognized Jesus as Messiah, as the Son of God, the Son of David. Some would eventually receive him, but many would reject him. And so with the feeding of the 5,000 on the front end of the context of this passage, we look to the context that immediately comes after our text today, or just a few verses below, and find another miracle, another feeding of a large crowd. This time, 4,000 had gathered. This is not the same account. It is a different account. This crowd is much different. By the location, the fact that this feeding happened near the Decapolis, we can deduce that the crowd would have largely been made up of non-Jewish or a mixed-race Jewish audience. And once again, there is a clue to Jesus' motivation. Look at verse 32 of chapter 15. It's on the screen. Then Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already been here with me three days and they have nothing to eat and I don't want to send them away hungry since they may even faint on their way. Here again, Jesus is moved by compassion for the crowd. And so he acts to provide physically for their needs. And what we begin to see materializing in this particular portion of Matthew is that caring for the spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional needs of others was and is a priority of Jesus' ministry. And that compassion is a powerful tool when we are submitted and alert to the opportunities that God is providing. Throughout his ministry, Jesus demonstrated a willingness to care without prejudice or without bias regarding whether a person was Jewish or Gentile, whether the person was a man or a woman, a soldier, civilian, rich or poor, criminal or law abiding. Jesus was there to provide when there was need. In the book, Uncommon Influence, one that was co-authored with her husband, author Lauren Dungy talks about the priority that Jesus gives to extending compassion towards others rather than categorizing others. Compassion over categorization. In our home, as we try to disciple and shepherd our children, a term that we've used is love over labels. Putting love in front of and above labeling other people. And that can be scary. It can be fearful. Fear-filled in the world we live in today. And I heard this recently. If perfect love casts out fear, then perhaps the opposite's also true. Perfect fear is able to cast out love. And that's difficult to think and imagine. But in a world of categories and labels, 
in a world of us versus them, it becomes very easy to start to justify when we fail to provide care for someone the Lord's placed right before us who's in need, but may seem different, look different, or live differently than we do. You see, Jesus' disciples, they're already unsettled. They're a little bit more than uncertain. Jesus has just powerfully offended the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. He's teaching about the priority of caring for the real-life needs of others over and above ritual, spiritual, religious practice. One author said it this way, quote, True religion must deal with people's basic nature and not just with externals. The Pharisees and the scribes had become so preoccupied with externals that they failed to deal with what is more basic and important, namely a real relationship with God. Jesus had more concern for human nature than for a form of worship. He came to seek and save the lost, end quote. And as we begin to explore our text this morning, we find that Jesus is about the difficult work of discipleship. He is continuing to train and teach his disciples about the scope and the purpose of the mission that they will be commissioned to carry out. You know, it's very interesting in our text this morning as we enter it because the disciples thought that they were getting away for a little relaxing excursion with Jesus. That this was supposed to be a time of rest. Jesus is going to double down on his statements in the immediate context. Statements regarding defilement. And he's going to do this by taking his disciples along with himself to a location that would have made them ceremonially and ritually defiled. And so already discomforted, already disrupted and unsettled by the way that Jesus has just interacted with the religious leaders, the disciples are soon going to find themselves discomforted, disrupted, and unsettled in enemy territory. Look again at verse 21. After going out from there, from the synagogues where he was talking among the religious leaders, Jesus went to the region of Tyre, they're highlighted on the screen, and Sidon. Now, if you think back to the Old Testament, this is Philistine and Phoenician territory. These are quite literally the enemies of Israel, where Jesus is going. And it's, it's also very interesting that Matthew in his gospel refers to this woman as a Canaanite. At this time in history, people were not referred to any longer as Canaanites. He's highlighting the reality that this Greek Syrophoenician woman, as we find out in Mark 7, 26, is a descendant of Israel's enemies. Perhaps our, mind, our, our minds are drawn back to another famous Canaanite woman of the Old Testament. Does anybody remember who that might be? Rahab, right? Her minds may go back there. But her cries are desperate and persistent. 
She says, have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy. And they're a reminder, even, of the prayers of the publican. And in the passage immediately before this one, in audience with his own people, Jesus would never have been referred to as the son of David. And yet this is how she addresses him. This a messianic title that implies that she considered him as the Messiah of Israel. And isn't it amazing that only God could provide one who was both the root and the offspring of David. Jesus was both creator and descendant. Pretty incredible. Something only God could do. And in her address of Jesus as the son of David, she's already demonstrated more faith related to the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus than the religious leaders in the context at the beginning of chapter 15. But her need is important. And her need brings Jesus and his disciples face to face with a rather uncomfortable situation. Her own daughter is demon-possessed. And maybe Jesus' disciples are none too surprised. An enemy of Israel might in fact find themselves confronted with the difficult reality of demons. But the text tells us Jesus doesn't answer her a word. Now think about all that's happened in the context of this passage. This is about midway, a little bit more than midway through the Gospel of Matthew. The disciples have been walking with Jesus through his earthly ministry. They have seen him do many miracles. He has invited them to participate in the ministry. Perhaps now is their chance to shine. Here's an opportunity for them to act. Could it be that it was their turn to demonstrate and practice the care that Jesus had so consistently taught, demonstrated, and practiced in their presence? But instead of compassion, they're motivated and moved by fear and discomfort. What's... What's their response? What do they ask Jesus to do? Send her away. Send her away. It's too much. Both her cries and her need, far too much for them to consider or to face. Besides, Jesus, this was supposed to be a restful trip. We're getting away to relax. Just send her away. But she persists. Her need and her request, they're desperate. She's desperate. She's asking Jesus to help. But the disciples want Jesus to resolve their discomfort by turning her away. And I'm reminded that often the opportunities for care that God puts before us are not comfortable, nor are they convenient. 
Many times they involve situations that are hard and people who may be very different than we are. And care that is consistent and motivated by compassion will look past differences and see through hard circumstances to stoop down and be present for someone in need. Jesus is not going to give his disciples a comfortable way out of this situation here. He is training them on purpose for a future mission that will involve taking the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world. Canaanites, too. So rather than sending her away, he leans in. And he's going to allow her to demonstrate both the power and the humility of her her faith. Look at verse 24. So he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I wonder in this passage, I was looking at the parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark this week and couldn't find an answer there either. But I was wondering who Jesus was speaking directly to in this passage. See, I've always assumed that it was directly to the woman, but in the verse that immediately precedes this, the disciples have just asked Jesus to send her away, and he doesn't do it. And so I wonder if he's speaking to the disciples, but in earshot of the woman. He was the true shepherd of the sheep of the house of Israel. And salvation came first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Then to the Gentile. And what else is interesting is that in his response, the woman is not turned away. She doesn't leave. She doesn't hear Jesus say these words and get discouraged and think, well, that was my chance. What does she do? His words actually draw her closer in. Her desperation continues to move her towards this place of humility where now in the text she's bowing on her knees, addressing Jesus again as Lord. Second time, again asking for his help. And this time Jesus responds directly to her. We know from Mark's account that the next statement was made to her as Mark has recorded it as such. Look at verse 26, what Jesus says. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he said. Now, keeping the context in view, as we seek to understand Jesus' words here, we remember that Jesus' disciples, who were Jewish, would have been very familiar with the term dogs being used to characterize the Gentiles. This was a common word used in their day to characterize people who were not Jewish. They were considered as dogs. It's also interesting, in the Greek, there are two different words for dogs that can be used. 
One word for dog that's used is used for wild dogs. The kind of dogs that you would see on the streets. The kind of dogs that are untamed. That is not the word that Matthew uses here in his gospel. Instead, he uses a word that was used in the Greek to connote small dogs. Dogs that would have been housebroken, trained, lived in a house. And in this, he is drawing out the woman's faith as an example to his Jewish disciples. The boundaries of Jesus's ministry, though initially presented to Jewish people, would extend and transcend far beyond their reach and be available to anyone who put their faith in Jesus as Messiah, son of David, savior of the world. And we reflect on John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who have received him, all, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. Children not born by human parents or by human desire or a husband's decision, but by God. And incredibly here in the text, the woman, and in Mark's account, she doesn't argue with Jesus' statement. She doesn't try to justify herself. Well, yeah, I, I know I'm not Jewish, but help me anyway. Or, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not Jewish, but, you know, my grandfather, he lives over there in this town. And, you know, can I kind of be associated with him? You don't see any striking note of anything like that. She's not even trying to dignify her need. Instead, she's persisting in a posture of humble faith. And her response is quick-witted. When I read her response this week, I was reminded of the way that Jesus would often respond to the religious leaders. Very similarly, taking something they said and just turning it on its head. She does the same thing. To Jesus' line here. And as the picture becomes clearer, we are presented with a woman who knows she's not entitled to ask for or receive Jesus' help. Yet she's throwing herself in a posture of humility with great need at the feet and the mercy of Jesus, knowing that he is fully able to provide. She's already met his disciples. They were quick to dismiss her and overlook her need. She is not deterred. Look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. And again, the gospel writer is further highlighting the humility of this woman by recounting that she's speaking using words that represent the smallest of dogs. It's that word that's used again. And the word crumb that she used represents the smallest morsel of a crumb that could fall from a table. Not a chunk, smaller than a chunk. Smaller than probably the communion that we'll partake in today. A crumb, the smallest possible amount. And in these actions and in these words, she's expressing her own unworthiness to receive 
such a large gift from Jesus. And here too, within the context of this portion of Matthew's Gospel, we're met with this contrast at the beginning of 15 between the pride of the religious leaders that blinded them from receiving Jesus as the Messiah and the humility of the Gentiles, which was used of God to open their eyes to the wonder-working power of Jesus' ministry and his message. You know, isn't it interesting? In verse 28, Jesus commends the Canaanite woman's faith. Look at verse 28. Your faith is great. Let what you want be done for you. And her daughter's healed. And this is Jesus' first recorded healing in Gentile territory. It's his second recorded healing of a Gentile. The first was the Roman centurion that we met earlier in the gospel. And curiously enough, in both cases of healing a Gentile, Jesus commends the faith of the Gentile that he is caring for. Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, speaking of the Roman centurion who was a Gentile, I tell you the truth, I've not found such faith in anyone in Israel. And this would not be the last time that Jesus healed or provided physical care for the Gentiles during his earthly ministry. Look down at verses 29 to 31. When he left there, when Jesus left there, he went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up a mountain where he sat down. Then large crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, blind, crippled, mute, and many others. They laid them at his feet, and he healed them. As a result, the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Mark's gospel gives us further insight as to where they were at this particular point in Jesus' ministry. It seems he's near the Decapolis. And again, because he's near there, we can deduce that he's caring for Gentiles in this region. And the result of Jesus' ministry in the context of this passage is astoundment and praise. The people proclaim that Jesus did everything well. And the Gentiles who had been cared for praised the God of Israel. They praised the God of Israel. And through the ministry of care in our congregations and in our churches, when we're caring for those within our own communities, within our own faith communities, and when we're caring for those outside of our walls, God has an amazing and an even supernatural way of drawing people who may be far from Jesus, towards Jesus, sometimes even into a relationship with Jesus, resulting in the praise of his name. And I don't know about you all, but this is a beautiful, beautiful, powerful way that God uses his gospel in the world. 
the care of people. It's a way that he's invited his church to be present and to be active in the lives of those in the world that don't yet know Jesus. Maybe have only ever just heard of Jesus. Maybe when they were young, they knew a lot about Jesus and they went to church. But over the years, life was hard. They got hurt and they left and they've never been back. But all of a sudden, there's a need and somebody from the church, someone who loves Jesus, shows up in their life and they see an image of the Lord that they never recognized before through the power and the ministry of care and presence in their life. The right time, the right opportunity, the right need, and the Lord moves us into position to shine, to be salt, to be light in the lives of another person. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again in faith communities Throughout my years in ministry. It's powerful. It's a powerful way to live out the gospel. We we have to preach the gospel. We have to speak about the truth of the gospel. Absolutely, we've been called to do that. Words are vital. But so are actions. And so is presence. Being there. Ready to serve. Ready to care ready to love, not taking into consideration the label or the category that society might place on the person in need. And so we might ask this question today. What are the essential qualities of a Christian faith community that intends to honor God through a ministry of caring for those who are in need? I think from our text today, we can find a few. First, we see compassion. Jesus is moved and motivated in the bookend context of our passage by compassion and love for people, regardless of their position or whatever label had been applied to them. The Canaanite woman, she's moved by compassion too. Her compassion is for a daughter possessed by a demon. Two people moved by compassion. Powerful. We find intentionality in our text today. I find it interesting. Jesus was intentional to take his disciples into the mystery. He took his disciples into difficult places. And he didn't just do it here. He did it often. Jesus knew. He knew that the world that we were going to inhabit and we were going to be carrying his gospel into was going to be filled with trials and tribulations and temptations and difficulties. He knew that there were going to be difficult people. Anybody know any difficult people? Anyone live with any difficult people? Don't raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. I want everyone to have a good afternoon today. But they're out there. They exist. Sometimes in our own homes. Sometimes in our own neighborhoods. 
Jesus was intentional in his ministry to show care towards them as well. And friends, ironically, and I think I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else. Sometimes I forget. In regards to my position with God, I was them too. But then came Jesus and everything changed. Everything. There's intentionality. He's taking his disciples into uncomfortable places, disruptive places, and he's demonstrating for them that some of the greatest opportunities for care that we will have will come when we feel the most unsettled. Can I just give you an example from my personal life? When you fly over the country of Haiti, you know right away that you're flying into a place that's very unsettling. One of the first questions that one of our children asked as we were flying into country is, why are all the houses broken? And you know, it's very unsettling to find yourself in a place where you have to get into a vehicle with tinted windows. And it's very unsettling to find yourself in a place where you need to have armed guards with you everywhere you go and people patrolling the house that you're staying in with shotguns through the night and being in a place with walls that are covered in barbed wire. And it's very unsettling when you leave those spaces to drive into communities where everything you see on both sides is difficult and hard and evidence of the difficult and hard realities that come with poverty. It's very unsettling and it's very hard. Yet never a greater opportunity for us to be changed by God than in those moments. And our lives were transformed. And they'll never be the same. And we learn so much. Jesus has taught us so much. And in our lives, in our personal lives, in our parental lives, the times that we were most unsettled and most uncomfortable are the times when we learned from God the most. I mean, the Canaanite woman in the text She's intentional and persistent too, isn't she? She could have just left. Jesus said, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, that's not me. But she's intentional and persistent to continue, knowing that Jesus is able to meet the need, having great faith. That he can do it. In the text this morning, we also discover the humility of Jesus. The humility because he's willing to go to a place that made him ceremonially unclean. In the eyes of the religious leaders, they would have been defiled now for a period of time. And he goes anyway. 
But we also see the, humil- the humility of the woman, the Canaanite woman. Who in vulnerability cries out. She's not provoking any sort of privilege or claiming to have some sense of entitlement to Jesus' care. Rather, she's kneeling before Jesus. Finding herself in a position and a place to receive from him and his care. Her posture becomes an example for the disciples of Jesus. And then finally, we're confronted with the great faith of the Canaanite woman. The kind of faith that Jesus commends. Her faith moves her to action. She knows that Jesus is able to provide. She knows that he can heal. She sees him as he truly is. Though she is a Canaanite, though she is considered as other, from a descendants of the Canaanites, she refers to him as son of David, the Messiah of Israel and the world. And it is her great faith that he commends. And her faith serves an example for us all, a reminder that Jesus is working and can work, not just to provide spiritual healing, but also physical and mental, relational and emotional healing to people who have needs in our lives. I've said it before, I'll say it again. He is Lord of our whole being. And as his church, desiring to follow in his example, following his pattern and ministry for care, we can and should be concerned with the flourishing of the whole person. And healthy Christian communities will inculcate these qualities throughout their ministries, both inside and outside the walls of their buildings. Remembering this, that the light that lives within us is stronger, greater, and more able to overcome any darkness in this world, any darkness. And so we might say this, healthy Christian communities that are committed to honoring God through patterns of care will practice with intentionality, compassion, and humility, demonstrating their great faith in caring for the needs of those God moves into our pathways. Who are those people in your life right now? Yes, some of them are going to be a part of this community right here. Here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. But some of those people are going to be your neighbors with the dog that tries to bite you every day. Some of those people are going to be the person that leaves their trash can out the bottom of the street all week long. Some of those people are going to be the people at work that eat your lunch. When you put it in the fridge. Even when your name's on the paper bag. Some of those people are going to be the most annoying and disruptive. And antagonistic. They're going to be people that. On the outside, they're really, really hard to love. But when we see through. Those presenting attitudes and behaviors. We always will find a person who's hurting. And in need. And there is our opportunity to share the gospel, both in our words 
and in the way we care in that moment.